Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is the Ion Travel Podcast with CBS News Travel Editor Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here with another edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. This week, I sit down with legendary explorer Richard Bangs for his update on world travel and traveling with a purpose all around the globe. Then I'll check in for a travel report with Gary Leff, founder of ViewFromTheWing.com. And then a sobering report on the most popular fish on restaurant menus, salmon, with Catherine Collins in Douglas, France, the authors of The Salmon Wars. First up, Richard Bangs. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Nice to see you in person, sir, in the United States. In Los Angeles. What a rarity. I know, because <laughs> so. Richard and I share one thing in common. People always can ask us, where did you just come from? Yeah, yeah. And we always have an answer. So let me start. Where did you just come from? Uh, and, and I'm glad you asked me that, because it's one place I think that's meaningful, particularly to me, and that's Angola a place that few people have traveled to. In fact, I took the first tour group ever to, uh, to, to eastern Angola, to the headwaters of the Okavango River. And it's important because the Chinese, as you well know, are deeply involved in all sorts of inf- infrastructure projects. They're building through. airports, they're building trains. Roads, they're, you know, everything. I think they're the yeah. largest consumers of concrete and cement. Not only that, but they've also got the mineral rights for most of these African countries, which is a very smart long-term investment. But they're big in Angola, and they're, they're proposing to build a series of dams on the Okavango River, which feeds the Okavango Delta in Botswana, which is 
the largest wildlife preserve in the world, 130,000 elephants, more than any place else. And it could turn off the spigot. It could dry it up. You know, so, uh, having been there and going down the Chobe River, yeah, uh, it's, it's a remarkable sight to see elephants in those numbers yes, and yeah. those behaviors. Yeah. And, you know, if you're, if you're dealing with a drought and the elephants can't find water, everything gets out of whack. Uh, people's lives are threatened. Uh, villages get get destroyed. There are a million people who depend upon the Okavango Delta yeah. for for subsistence, yeah. or or their their livelihood. So, so one very interesting thing to do. One of the things that you do when you travel, Richard, you're not on vacation. Let's get that straight. You're yeah, yeah. you're literally exploring, um, and the stories that you come back with hopefully can be put in context and perspective, so real people realize maybe maybe they should start traveling in a different way. So the the question I have for you is. As a, as a result, perhaps, or in the, as we emerge from the pandemic, are you seeing different traveler behavior? I, I mean, yeah, what a great question, because throughout the pandemic, everybody thought this is the opportunity to reimagine travel and to look at the issues such as over tourism and see if we can put quotas or, or deal with tourism in a different way, find, find alternative routes to Machu Picchu um, uh, and other sort of over-visited areas. Uh, and to some degree, that has happened. Uh, there have been some wise uh, decisions made about trying to redirect traffic and 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 uh, and and reexamine how how tourism affects a destination. But unfortunately, the travelers uh, have not generally changed their behavior. So, as you well know, um, many of the places that were oversited pre-pandemic in 2019, have seen record numbers this year, particularly in Europe. Uh, so the pent-up demand to get out of your house uh, has been realized throughout this summer, even though, as you know, airline prices have increased 35% or so. Oh, in um, some markets, they've quadrupled. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and hotel prices have gone up, but people are so desperate to get on the road again. Uh, maybe this will be a short-term thing as people get this out of their system well, you know what i believe it'll be short term for another reason yeah and that is in september and then by the way as you say people were not going to be denied they were going to travel yeah they were going to go no matter what no matter how much money it was going to cost them well in september guess what happens they get their credit card statement and they go yeah. i paid what <laughs> and they're going to make a decision that that's it for their travel for the rest of 2022 i i would agree with you and i think they look at the recession and the fourth quarter so. of this year yeah. will be devastating for the yeah. travel industry but for strategic travelers and smart travelers yeah. that's your buyer's market that's the time to travel i i, I would believe so yeah. uh, and you know i've got this company mt sobeck and and you know we follow the trends closely and we are having a booming summer particularly in europe um, but we think that we may see a really good fall because we we specialize in alternative travel places that people don't generally go to so we're we're hopeful so when's your next trip to Newark? To Newark. <laughs> You're right. That's a place that not many people go to. <laughs> hey, I'm just, I was thinking, you know, <laughs> yeah. the jungles. You know. I, 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 the, the, the concrete jungles. I'd love to, love to know jungle. more about Newark. About 54 countries in Africa, mm -hmm. most of which people can't name, most of which they've not been to, and most of which are, um, are not modernized to the point of being out of control. Yes, that's true. It has not suffered some of the, the over-tourism effects that we've seen in other, other parts of the world. The exception might have been Egypt and, and uh, the Aswan Luxor uh, 
passage that, that is sort of a must-see. But even then, uh, over the last few years, be- because of a variety of reasons, including politics, uh, Egypt has not seen the numbers it used to see. I mean, so, there was, a, there was yeah. one day I saw 44 boats on the Nile, Yeah, right? Yeah. And, 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 then, it went, and yeah. then it went down to two during the pandemic. Yeah. And that was the time to go. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It's always good to, to look not only at off-season, but but uh, when the crowds are moving in one direction, go in a different direction. So Yeah, that's an easy contrarian advice, which yeah. I follow to the T. Yeah. But, you know, it's interesting. When you see what's going on in Venice, mm-hmm. when you see what's going on in Barcelona, when you see what's going on in Athens this summer, yeah. oh my God, it's, yeah. out, it's out of control. I was doing a, a radio show from a ship last summer, and I, this is even last summer, before travel really came right yeah. back. yeah. Uh, and when we got to Santorini, I would not get off the ship hmm. because I could see. I didn't even need binoculars. Yeah. I could see wall-to-wall-to-wall-to-wall people. Rivers of people. I've yeah. had that in Dubrovnik yeah. where you couldn't get from one side to the other. <laughs> yeah. And, and what, you know how I get through Dubrovnik? I go, yeah. Game of Thrones that way. <laughs> and and 80,000 people turn left and I go, now I can breathe. You know? Brilliant, brilliant. I mean, seriously. That's a good strategy. It's yeah. out of control. Yeah. And now look what Venice is doing. They're putting in a, a, a tax, a fee, and starting a, in January. And, and a quota as and well. And a quota. Which is smart, you know, I think. Yeah, they, they I mean, need look, that. When the bridge of size becomes the bridge of thighs, we got a problem. <laughs> we got a problem. Yeah. No, we do. We do. So, But, okay, it, you know, people are always asking, you know, name the places you haven't been. Okay, name the places you haven't been, Richard. Well, I, I'm not sure that I can. <laughs> so, You've been to every country? Almost. I, 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 there, are, there are a couple of places in the map that have not been colored. Um, All right, I'll give you one. I have to think of I'll give you one. Yeah. Somebody asked me that earlier today. Mm-hmm. Kiribati. I have not been to Kiribati. Okay. There you go. Me too. You got one. Okay. We'll now go together. Now go, <laughs> exactly. Let's do it. And people who don't know what Kiribati is, it's the former Gilbert Islands. Yep. Uh, difficult to get to, but fun to be at. Yeah. Supposedly. Yeah. Uh, how about how about the Solomon Islands? I've been to the Solomon Islands. Okay, Guadalcanal. Yeah, that's a, just off of off of the coast of New Guinea. Yeah. Been to the Trobrian Islands, which are the islands of love. Where? That's off of New Guinea. Okay. Yeah, very close to the right next to the Solomons. Well, I'm, I know you've been to New Guinea many times and you yeah. hung out with the mud people and everything like that. Yes. Yeah. By the way, if you can fly an airplane in New Guinea, you can fly an airplane anywhere. Yeah. Those bush pilots are unbelievable. And there are a lot of planes that are that are left in the jungle. You still find them. Oh yeah, uh, many many years later. Yes, well, covered up. A lot of World War II planes are still exactly. there. Exactly. Yeah, but uh, if you, anywhere I go in the South Pacific and I get on a, a small plane, I ask the pilot, "Where have you flown before?" If he says New Guinea, I said, "I'm getting on the plane." Yeah, you can trust that guy. I can, Hopefully, you absolutely can trust. <laughs> Alaska's the same way. Yes, a good well, Alaska, Alaska pilots will, will always joke to you that they fly IFR. That doesn't stand for Instrument Flight Rules. It follow, stands for I follow the river. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. That's a that's a that's a very good strategy. It is. When in doubt, fly the plane. Yeah, you know? yeah. Exactly. So. What's changing in terms of cost of travel? I'm not talking about domestic travel in the United States, but here we have the euro on a par with the dollar. Yep. Uh, the dollar being as strong as it's been in the last 20 years against other foreign currencies. Right. Right. Uh, the South African rand, the Argentinian peso, the Turkish lira. Yeah. So that's got to be a buyer's market for us now. Yes and no. I mean, uh, clearly, once you're in Europe or, or South Africa or any of these places, to move around as a local it's going to be much, much cheaper than it ever has been before. And it's, it's a wonderful time to travel that way. But if you're staying at, um, uh, at uh, a chain hotel or if... Uh, or an American-branded hotel. Or an American-branded hotel, they have raised their prices commensurately. They've adjusted. Same thing with airfares. Yeah. Yeah. Other than airfare and hotels, everything else, all the other goods and services... The wine is cheap. Uh, yeah. yeah. Anything that they would buy as yeah. locals, right? right? A good or a service, 
This is the time to do your Christmas shopping. Yeah. It yeah. really is. Yeah. Go with some extra suitcases. On average, you'll be spending about 38% less than you did last year. But I don't know about the suitcases. They're losing more luggage now. Yeah, maybe more not. than more than ever. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real problem. Oh, listen. There's a thing know. in the Wall Street Journal today about but the the um, the rise in popularity of these luggages that have tracking. Uh, oh yeah, we did. Up. We've done yeah. a story on them. Yeah, the, yeah. the Apple ID tags and everything. Yeah, yeah, else. yeah. That's a good. My thanks to Richard. Anytime I want the real updates on travel, I reach out to Gary Leff, founder of a great news channel, ViewFromTheWing.com. So is there any good news coming from airlines and airports? Fasten your seatbelts. Is there any hope in sight, Gary? Or I'll put it another way. Is any airline actually or airport authority doing it right? Uh, (laughs) That's a harder question than it sounds. Uh, I'm hard-pressed to really compliment anyone. Um, Recognizing that it's hard. Uh, Security screening can be hard. Airporting is hard. You know, look, I blame the airlines who didn't keep their, you know, staff engaged and, you know, and, and on board and yet scheduled flights beyond what they could possibly uh, deliver. Um, you know, when you, when you have you know, not enough people at security, you have not enough people in air, air traffic control. Those are a little bit of it, but airlines with not enough people working the ticket counters. And so lines are longer and things back up. Um, it, it's pretty miserable and you get through security. And there aren't enough people staffing concessions. And so you can't get the food you want in the airport. And those lines are long. And there aren't enough people working uh, to move baggage. And there aren't people to fix the baggage systems and they break down. And then you've got you know, thousands upon thousands of bags that pile up. You know, once again, at Heathrow, uh, but not only. Uh, the things, are, things are pretty bad. And, and the thing to remember, gosh, well, tra- travel wasn't quite where it was. Uh, in 2019, how can it be this bad? Well, there have been you know decisions that were made about staffing, but also you know just because overall travel didn't quite return to 2019 levels, that's not true everywhere. I live in Austin, and gosh, it gets as hot as anywhere in Austin. Um, you know, we had our hottest uh, summer on record. Um, well, before the summer even began, the Austin airport was 25 percent above the passenger levels that it hit in 2019 in a terminal that simply wasn't built for that many people. And so, you know, it's, you know, flights and planes that are, uh, you know, going places that are in fact seeing more passengers than before. Uh, so it's, it, it's pretty brutal, but the bottom line is that when you're in this business, you know, how many flights are scheduled, you know, how many tickets are being sold. It is your responsibility to, uh, be staffed appropriately to deliver on the, the tickets that you've sold uh, and you know, move planes from place to place. So blame weather. That happens every year, right? It's, do you have the operating margin to recover when things go wrong? And the airlines uh, this summer simply did not. You know, I, I do think that they get better um, as we enter you know, less of peak travel, uh, as we enter the, you know, the fall and the winter. Um, and that gives them a shot at maybe called due over next summer. There's always next year. You know, my definition in the service industry of a great airline or a great hotel or a great restaurant or a great cruise line, we go down the whole list, is not when they deliver the service. It's when and how they recover when something goes wrong. And I think we'd all be in agreement that their recovery is not scoring them any points whatsoever in the summer of 2022. You know, you mentioned the bags. 
you know, it's not just the baggage systems, it's the staffers. So, you know, earlier last month, what happened? Delta Airlines flew an entirely empty A330 from London to Detroit, empty of passengers, but not an empty plane. 1,000 bags crammed into this plane going to Detroit. Were the bags destined for Detroit? No. They just needed to get them out of London because there was nobody in London to sort them. How bizarre is that? So now they're in Detroit with some guy named Vern on a carousel trying to figure out which which goes to Memphis, which goes to San Francisco, which goes to Oakland, and I'll bet you which goes to London, the place it just left from. (laughs) Uh, So there's there's that issue, right? Then... And and as a passenger, yeah. And and wait, let me... I'm on a roll here. (laughs) And then... (laughs) and, And then... There's passport and, and, and passport control. By the way, this mess with passport control predates the pandemic by two years. You know, as you just said, Gary, and by the way, we're talking to Gary Left, the author of ViewFromTheWing.com. As you just said, there are no surprises on schedule, right? We know what time the plane's coming in. We know how many people are on the plane. We know how many bags were loaded. They knew that before the plane ever took off. Um, so it's not like, oh, there's a plane that just landed. Surprise, no surprises. But here's the problem. In most of these countries, the Minister of Transport doesn't even speak to the Minister of Tourism. So the Minister of Transport doesn't really care about being entrepreneurial or customer friendly. They're just processing, right? So here's the deal. Land at Lisbon tomorrow. Just try tomorrow. Any Pick a day at random. And so many of the flights leave the United States at night which means they're landing between 6 and 8 the next morning. No big surprises. They're coming from different gateways. They're coming from Newark and Los Angeles and San Francisco and Miami, and we go through the whole list. And they land, and there are 26 inspection stations for passport control, of which only two are manned. So after taking a seven-hour flight from New York to Lisbon, you're now in a four-hour line just to get your passport stamped. And when I asked the Minister of Tourism, why don't you fix this? She said, well, it's not my department. Well, guess what? Travel and tourism is your department. You need to talk to your minister and stop being siloed. And did she? She did not. Did the minister of transport talk to her? He did not, which means if you're landing in Portugal tomorrow, bring a copy of War and Peace so you can read the entire book online. Uh, Or in line, I should say. Uh, So there's another issue. Now, one of the other things that we can talk about, Gary, is can they change the actual flight schedules to spread out the numbers? And the answer is they can. I'm a huge fan of night flights. Take half the flights that are operating between 6 a.m. and and midnight, just half of them, and operate the others between midnight and 6. Um, you know what? It would help. It wouldn't, it wouldn't solve the whole thing, but it would help. And yet nobody's want, nobody wants to make the first step to do that because every airline wants to be competitive on schedule. I mean, if they're misleading you, they're absolutely misleading you. I think you'd agree. Sure, they're selling the schedule that they know people want to buy, even if they're not able to ultimately deliver on it, uh, which is you know, obviously problematic. They're will- people are willing to pay a premium to fly at the convenient time, even if it's not possible for the airline to uh, operate on time and operate significantly late. Uh, that's a problem. And look, for years, Peter, you've told folks not to check banks if they can possibly avoid it, right? Um, but what happens when planes are full and you know bags are being lost uh, is you go and bring just the carry-on bag. But if you're not among the early folks to board, you may be forced to check that carry-on bag. And then it gets lost. 
And then you try to track it down and you try to call the airline and you are faced with, you know, hours long on hold. So uh, it's a, it's a true failure compounded by failure all the way around. My thanks to Gary. Now I'm a proud pescatarian and my go-to fish on the menu whenever I travel is almost always salmon. It's also the fish I choose when I buy groceries. But I just read a troubling new book. It's called Salmon Wars, and it could change my eating and shopping choices, maybe even yours too. Catherine Collins and Douglas France did the research for the book. That definitely got my attention, and it should get your attention as well. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much, Peter. It's great to be with you. And you know, in the interest of full disclosure, I'm a pescatarian, uh, I'm probably eating salmon three days a week, if not more. Uh, my wife laughs at me. I order it all the time. So reading your book was an eye-opener for me. Uh, of course, one of the most disturbing videos I've seen in a long time, which I think you can still see on Netflix, is a show called Seaspiracy about commercial fishing all around the world, part of which includes, of course, fish farms. But, you know, every time you ask kids where food comes from, they tell you the store. And, of course, we all know that's misleading and incorrect. And it also presumes that they know where it comes from. Now, we know salmon comes from the sea, but which sea and under which auspices? And I'm not alone. Salmon, about a decade ago, in your book, replaced tuna as the most popular fish on North American dinner tables. So it's a, it's a very popular item. It's a very popular commodity. And, of course... Every doctor will tell you, and I, by the way, I don't just eat it because the doctors tell me this. I eat it because I like it, uh, that salmon is healthy and environmentally friendly. But in Salmon Wars, you discovered a slightly different story, didn't you? Yes, we, we sure did, Peter. And you hit the nail on the head when you said that, that people think salmon just comes from the ocean. I mean, and it's not just the kid's mistake. I mean, we, I can't tell you the number of people we've spoken with over the last two and a half years in researching this book who have no idea where or how the salmon they're eating regularly is raised and the impact of that salmon on the environment and potentially on their own health. Um, the fact that you eat it so often, you know, it's a little safe because you're unlikely to get pregnant. But for pregnant women and for children and for infants, there are proven proven dangers and risks, health risks in eating salmon regularly. There are studies that say people shouldn't eat more than one serving of salmon a month because of some of the contaminants and toxins that come from the way it's raised in these floating feedlots on the ocean. And, you know, we're talking about fish farming. And I was always told, and I know you're going to tell me the answer, I was always told that if you buy farm-raised salmon, in about 95% of the cases, it's colored artificially, uh, it's made to look fresher than it is, and that doesn't deal with the contaminants that you're just talking about. Uh, 
The other side of that argument is from some of the fish farmers that say, oh, we don't do it that way. We, we put them in much more segregated areas. Uh, we, we feed them different food so that they're not eating their, I hate to say it, their own feces uh, and all sorts of other things. But how is the consumer to even know? Well, that's, that's one of the points that we try to stress in this book. And in fact, that's, that, I think, is the ultimate reason that we wrote Salmon Wars. And that reason is that we want people to be able to have the information required to eat healthy food and to eat sustainable food and to protect the environment and the planet. And you just don't get that from the labels on the salmon that you're buying in the store. At most, it will say fresh Atlantic salmon. It may say farmed, it may not. It's highly unlikely that it will tell you where it was farmed. Um, there are variations. There are countries where the very reputable, just up the road from you in, uh, in Monterey, the Monterey Bay Aquarium's Seafood Watch has declared salmon from Chile, Norway, Scotland and most of Canada and the United States to be to, as something to avoid because of the chemicals that are used in raising it and because of the disease. But you don't know that when you go to Costco or Whole Foods or wherever it is and buy your salmon. Wow. So that means I'm in trouble. <laughs> I mean, because the bottom line is when I go to forget when I go to Costco or my local grocery store, what about my local restaurant? I mean, how do I know? They don't tell me this on the menu. They don't give me any other information other than maybe once in a while they'll say Faroe Island salmon or Icelandic salmon. But that still doesn't tell me where it came from, does it? No, it doesn't. It doesn't tell you how the fish was raised, what it was fed, how it was harvested. So we lived in Paris for a while and we were struck by the markets there that would tell you all of those things. So, so we know that it can be done. But the basic fact is that an open net salmon farm where ninety percent of the salmon we consume today comes from is is a floating feedlot that is bigger than a football field, anchored in a fragile cove, often located right along a wild salmon migration route. And and these farms consist of ten, maybe twelve cages, also called pens, and they're they're made of tough plastic netting that allows supposedly the ocean currents to flow through and keep out the predators. And each cage will hold up to 100,000 salmon. A, a farm can hold a million. And the, the pile-up of excrement, the excess seed, the chemicals from a single farm is equal to the waste from a city of about 65,000 people, according to one study that we read. But a city's waste is treated while a salmon farm dumps theirs in the ocean, ocean, creating that toxic stew that damages the marine life on the seabed below. Wow, that's a big wow for me because when I do go to the store, if it says wild caught, am I to believe that then? Well, wild caught would be probably the Pacific coast, the Pacific salmon. Atlantic salmon are, are a whole different fish, and that's what the fish that is most commonly eaten around the world today. Yeah, the wild-caught Pacific salmon is healthier for you. It's also more expensive. And there also have been studies by Oceana and other groups showing that 
farmed Atlantic salmon is often mislabeled as wild-caught Pacific salmon. So you, you really have to be careful. You have to eat responsibly. And when you go to the store, ask the seafood department where it came from. When you go to the restaurant, ask where it came from. There is a movement, particularly among knowledgeable chefs in these days, to use only sustainably raised land-based salmon. So that's salmon that's raised in closed tanks in recirculating aquaculture systems on land. It's hard to find now. It's a little more expensive, but it really, we believe, is the, is the solution to this problem. And, and we think that consumers are are ready for this change, this this shift, and they can drive they can drive change in the industry if they refuse to buy the the fish that is not raised well they will force the industry to adapt they can they can ask all these questions at the fishmongers they can ask for uh, the salmon that's raised on land there was a there was a study recently done by the environmental defense fund about about 800 americans and that poll showed that people are in fact concerned about the seafood they're eating that they're willing to pay more for it um, I think it was 69% of those surveys said they were concerned about the origin. 73% said they would eat more seafood if the consumer protections were strengthened. And 71% said they cared about the impact of the salmon farms on environment on the environment. And that this was also a determining factor in, in how they were going to spend their money. So now that you've totally depressed me, <laughs> but, but <laughs> I mean, but no, but it, it, it's an essential depression my next question has to be, uh, you know, as a consumer and somebody who is predisposed to liking salmon, if I went, if I left this studio right now and went to the local store and asked them the questions you asked me to ask, there's a 90% chance they'd look at me as I was from another planet. They don't know because either they were not told or there was no interest. So we do, we do vote with our wallets, that's, that's for sure. We're not talking necessarily about boycotts and sanctions, but as, as you said in the last segment, if enough of us ask the questions, that's at least half the battle won. Yeah, we agree completely. I mean, it's, it's government's role here to insist on transparency and insist on accurate labeling. We propose in the book that you put a QR code on salmon packages that will then you can use your smartphone and it will identify where it was raised, how it was raised, what chemicals were used, just as we do for processed foods. It's, re, it's very important to, to do that. Let me, let me just tell you one anecdote, Peter, from, from the book. Maui ASA, which is the Norwegian company that dominates global salmon farming, was, agreed to a settlement about a year ago in federal court in New York City in which they paid $1.3 million and promised to stop calling the smoked salmon they raised in, in, in they sold in the U.S. to stop calling that sustainably raised, naturally raised, and organic, and from Maine. They have been they have been pushing this deceptive advertising for years and years, and it took a couple of consumer groups to go to court and call them on it. 
And that should have been a bellwether for the entire industry of salmon farming because they do use deceptive advertising and misinformation in their in in their efforts to to sell a product that we believe is is inferior. Well, based on and tell me if you think I'm wrong here, but based on your description of how the farm-raised salmon are raised and fed and the environment in which they exist, why wouldn't salmon, based on that definition, be also called a processed food? Yeah. I think I think I think it certainly could be. It's 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 an industrialized food. It's they've taken this grand, iconic, magnificent fish and they've turned it into a commodity. And I'll tell you something else that just a light bulb just went off with me, because when I'm on an airplane and they actually have food, which is usually not all often, but when they do have food, I'm a pescatarian, right? So they'll say we either have you know chicken, beef. Or we have fish, and if it's salmon, I always go for the salmon. But we all know, this is not a news bulletin, that airlines don't spend an inordinate amount of money on their catering, and they're going to make a bulk purchase deal with farm-raised salmon, guaranteed. So you just now turned me off to eating airborne salmon. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, but, but, but I hear you. And I just now, the, the question I asked you about what's the industry going to do, now what are the governments going to do? Can they actually uh, legislate a truth in labeling law in, le- in letters that are bigger than microscopic on, on the packaging so that we actually know what we're buying? Yes, they can, and we believe they should. Here in Canada, two years ago, the federal government agreed to develop some See some water, some seafood to table restrict um, um, restrictions or d- disclosures rather. I'm sorry, disclosures on so we would know where all of our seafood comes from in Canada. Unfortunately, in two years, almost nothing has been done. So two advocacy organizations a few months ago started a new movement to push that forward. It can happen. But it doesn't. In the U.S., the Federal Drug Administration, which is responsible for food advocacy, three years ago, the General Accounting Office, the Congressional Investigative Arm, um, did a study, and they found that of 379,000 tons of imported salmon, the FDA inspected 89 samples. That's infinitesimal. And you don't know what's coming in. It, it, it'll, it will have contaminants. It will have toxins. It will have chemical residues. Well, if there are any similarities to, to this story and another story, it has to be the fight against smoking and tobacco. has to be. Yeah, we, we, we found some parallels. Now, we're not arguing here, Peter, that eating farm-raised salmon is the equivalent to smoking. It's not going to be that bad for your health. But among the parallels we did find was efforts by big tobacco to discredit science and to, to dispute and cover up the link between smoking and cancer. We all know about that. What we don't know is that for the past almost 20 years, the salmon farming industry has been engaged in a similar campaign using, adver- using advertising, using paid science, to discredit people who criticize their their product and who raise questions about the, how healthy salmon really is. My thanks to Catherine and Douglas, to Gary Leff, and to Richard Bang. And my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more conversations with the world's leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, be sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for all the breaking travel news, 
Simply log on to petergreenberg.com. The Ion Travel Podcast is produced by Amanda Morris and Anthony Protis Chung. For more content from Peter Greenberg and the Ion Travel team, visit petergreenberg.com. Ion Travel is a production of CBS News Radio. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. Catch every episode of 60 Minutes, America's most watched news magazine show as a podcast. Hear in-depth investigations across politics, news, and entertainment on your schedule. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.